uh, Matthew 6, where we have been for uh, five weeks now. Matthew 6, we'll read verses 9 through 13. This is the Lord's Prayer or the Model Prayer or an Our Father, whatever you want to term it. And uh, this morning we'll find ourselves in verse number 11. So let's read this together before we dig into verse number 11. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse number 9, Jesus here on the Sermon on the Mount says in verse number 9, after this manner therefore pray ye. So here's the model by which you should pray. Here's the template that I'm going to give to you. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning we get to tackle verse number 11, which is give us this day our daily bread. This morning, before we get to verse number 11, I'll get there in a minute. I wanted to start uh, with a bit of an illustration and a metaphor to, to hopefully help us. I've enjoyed studying uh, for the series and, and prepping and reading. And uh, my wife has been reading some prayer books as well. And a couple months ago, uh, she shared with me an illustration that she found. She was reading a book called Prayer, Experiencing on Intimacy with God. And she came to the end of the book, and there was this illustration. She said, you've got to read this. It's, it's one of the best illustrations I've heard on prayer to help you diagnose where you're at. So it's a, a bit of a self-diagnostic tool. And I wanted to share it with you just kind of as a, a prelude to the, to the sermon this morning. And the illustration goes like this. It's, it's imagine that your soul or your heart is a boat. And the boat has both a sail and it has oars. And you're supposed to ask yourself several questions to find out where in your soul, in your boat, are you at in relationship to prayer and uh, your relation with the Lord. So the first question is, are you sailing? This means that the, the spiritual wind is at your back. You uh, feel close to God. You feel that through your Bible reading and through your prayer time that, that he's there, that he's speaking to you, that there's an intimacy there, that uh, you look forward to it. Your prayer time is delightful, and it feels like you are, you're sailing through the Christian life because of the relationship that you're enjoying with the Lord. The second question is, are you rowing? And this is, I'm making progress in my Christian life, and I'm going forward, and I'm attending worship services, and I'm, I'm reading my Bible, and I'm praying, but a truth be told, it's more dutiful than it is a delight. It's something that I, I oftentimes feel distant from God, not always, but oftentimes I feel distant. I, I struggle to see answered prayers in my life. I, I find that it's work. I find that it's uh, difficult to me to, to sense his love and to sense his presence, but I'm trying, and, and I'm, I'm making some progress. The third question is, are you drifting? Which, drifting contains all of the same kind of attitudes and, and heart feelings of rowing, that there's this spiritual dryness that, if you're honest, you feel inside of your heart, but in, in response, instead of trying, instead of staying faithful, that I'm just allowing myself to, to drift. I've I've stopped attending church regularly. I've, I've stopped picking up my Bible. I go a day, a week, a month, a year, and I don't really pray that, that I'm just drifting. And then the fourth question, which uh, hopefully you're not there, but inevitably in the room some would be, is are you sinking? And eventually if you drift long enough, you'll, you'll drift out of the shipping lanes, and that numbness of the heart will turn to hardness of the heart. 
and you will begin to sink spiritually. And we've all, we've all seen this happen in people's lives. We've known Christians that were great people, and it seemed like they were sailing, but through a course of time just kind of deteriorated, and we saw them sink and just walk away from the Lord or from church or from Christianity as a whole. And, and, and those four questions with that metaphor of, of our life and our heart being a boat were designed to pre- be presented as kind of a self-diagnostic of where, where am I at? Am I sailing or am I, am I rowing or am I drifting or am I sinking? And truthfully, you may find yourselves in one way or another here all throughout the course of a given week. You may find that one day I'm sailing and my relationship was great. And the next day, man, I just drifted and I didn't do anything. And then the next day I had to work at it. But, but where are you at? I, I want you this morning to do two things with, with that metaphor. First is I want uh, you in your own heart and your, your own mind to answer that question. And just, just tell yourself, where, where am I? Am I, am I sailing? Am I rowing? Am I drifting? Am I, am I sinking? The second thing I'd like you to do, if you're willing to, if you're willing to, is I've put those four options on our connection card this morning that you can actually choose under the next steps of the sermon. You can circle one. If you're willing to be honest and, and a little bit open, maybe vulnerable, and circle which one is you, I would love for you to do that, for you to turn that in the offering plate. And here's why. Reason number one is I'd, I'd like to help you I'd like to maybe share a resource that's helping me or, or maybe uh, drop you a note of encouragement or something along those lines. But primarily, and I admit this is selfish, I'd like for you to help me. Uh, I am, as I'm going through this series, and, and I'm currently now uh, wrestling with how to end the series, and we'll, we'll walk through this Lord's Prayer, and then there'll probably be a, a sermon that's a capstone at the end. And I find in my own life, I'm struggling sometimes to get a pulse exactly on where our church is with prayer. And to know as a whole kind of where we stand, selling, rowing, drifting, those sorts of things. I'm even curious to know, if you're willing to fill it out, where different demographics of our church stand. That maybe the empty nesters have a propensity to be rowing or sailing, and maybe those with with young children have a propensity to be uh, more drifting because it's more difficult. I don't know what what it will be, but if you're willing to do that this morning, I would like you to, and I'd like you to turn that in as as it would help me as I look at the end of this sermon series. So with that being said, let's hop right over to verse 11 and actually go sermon time. So uh, verse number 11, give us this day our, our daily bread. Seven words, they seem simple enough. I've been a little bit amazed as I've studied the different interpretations that have come from this verse and how hard people have extrapolated this verse. I'll give you one example. I could give you many, but I'll give you one. Uh, Luther wrote that this verse was, give us uh, this day our daily bread. It's us an hour, and that this was a prayer, he thought, designed to be for, Lord, would you give everyone their daily bread? Would you supply the needs of our society? He saw this prayer as a prayer of social justice, of equity. Now, I wouldn't agree with, with Luther there. I think that he pressed the prayer a little too hard, and he probably extrapolated it a little too hard and kind of missed the most simplistic view and interpretation of what this could be. On the other hand, I've heard some people that have just come to this verse in Scripture, hey, give God your prayer list, and they just keep moving. And they, and they move on to the next petition, the next verse. And there's, there's some truth contained somewhat in Luther that it is communal, us and our. There's some truth that we should give God our prayer list, but there's probably in the middle a balance that we can strike to really understand what is being asked of us. What are we saying when we're praying, give us this day our daily bread? What's our attitude supposed to be as we approach the Lord with our needs? So this morning I'm going to seek to strike a balance and to give you four truths that I think this verse is teaching us concerning our prayer lives and our needs list that we would be bringing to the Lord. So truth number one, and this is an important truth, 
Because we said over and over again, your prayer life is so dependent upon your view of God. If you view him wrong, then your prayer life will be off kilter at best. So point number one is this. Our Father gives and he loves to give. So when we are approaching our Father with chart in heaven, and now we come to this part, we have set the stage with hallowed be your name, sanctify your name, Lord, sanctify your name in our community at large, sanctify it in my own heart, your kingdom come, God, I'm looking forward to the kingdom, bring it on, rule and reign in my heart in the meantime, sit on the throne of my heart, as we, as we have the stage set with that, now we come to give us this day our daily bread. And this is a prayer that we understand we're still approaching the Father who gives and he loves to give. Jesus did not teach us to uh, barter or trade with the Father. He didn't teach us to do something so God would in turn give back to us. He, he teaches us to ask for something, to ask that our daily needs would be met. And this is extremely helpful to those of you in the room who view God as a miser in heaven who's sitting at his heavenly table and if I'm good enough and if I do enough and if I am a good boy today, then God will just kind of wipe a few crumbs off his heavenly table to me and maybe he'll give me something. Undoubtedly, there are those in this room who had horrible examples of earthly fathers who did not love and did not give and did not have your own interests first, but they had their own self-interests. And we've had bad examples of that, undoubtedly, some of us. But understand, when you're approaching the Father, God, that you have a Father who gives to you, and He loves to give to you. He wants you to ask Him for things. It would, it would delight Him if you did. Now, some people are better at asking for things than others. I am not naturally great at asking for things. I, I, probably my own pride is probably a problem that I have, but I don't like to ask for help. I don't, I don't like to ask for money. I don't like to ask for a hand. I want to I do it myself. Others in the room, we've all known somebody, maybe a relative, maybe a friend, who you know they're great at being a mooch. They're great at asking. They're great at just sucking everything from you that they can. Uh, my, my grandfather owns a ranch in Wyoming, and that's uh, my grandmother, blood relative, married my, my grandfather, widow and widower, and got married. But I call him grandpa nonetheless. And, uh, and he had an evangelist that came through, and he owns a ranch with horses and such in Wyoming. And the evangelist told him, you know what, God told me that you need to give me one of your horses. <laughs> now, I don't know what my grandfather's response exactly was. I know he didn't give him a horse. Uh, but that's someone who apparently is good at asking. That's, that's some boldness there that I'm just going to tell you. God told me to tell you to give me a horse. Now, some people are great at that. Whether you're great at it or not, the... The truth of the matter is we have a father who does give and who loves to give and who wants to give, and we should see him that way. We should approach him knowing that he would delight in giving us gifts and meeting our needs and being there for us. This is what the Bible teaches. Let me share a few verses with you. James 1, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. What is, what is James saying? James is saying God is steady. God is unmovable. God is immutable. And part of his nature and part of his steady character is he's raining down gifts. That the good gifts and the perfect gifts are coming down from him. That's, that's who our Father is. Psalm 37. Psalm 37, I don't have the time to walk through the whole chapter. It's a beautiful chapter of Scripture that tells us how God is He's taking care of the righteous, 
in a, in a providential way he's giving to them, but he's also taking care of the wicked in a disciplinarian way. But you come to Psalm 37, verse 25, and the psalmist says this, I have been young, now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. The psalmist says, in all my life, I've never seen someone living for the Lord that the Lord forsook and left, and that even their children that they, had to, that they had to want for their daily needs. I've seen over and over and over and over again that God supplied and God gave and God met their needs. Matthew 7, you were, were in Matthew 6. I want you to flip a page. You may not even have to flip a page. Matthew 7, verse number 9. This is all a continuation of the Sermon on the Mount. It's all one discourse that Jesus is giving. And we said from the get-go, when Jesus told his audience to approach God from a relationship standpoint, from Father, that's revolutionary. His Jewish audience would not have known to do that. And he teaches them to approach God as Father from relationship, and then he clarifies a little bit about who is this Father? What is, what's his heart? What, what does he have in mind for us? And he says in Matthew 7, same sermon, same audience, verse number 9. What man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? And not a serpent to eat, a serpent to bite him. And that's a rhetorical question. He then says, if ye then, verse 11, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children... How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Jesus says, look, you know what it's like to want to give your kids the moon. You know what it's like to want to set them up for success. You know what it's like to want to reward them and want to spoil them. You get that and you're evil. You have sin in your life. How much more shall your perfect heavenly Father want to give to you? And he says, this is who you're addressing. You're addressing God who is not, okay, you're not Tiny Tim and God's not Scrooge. He's not wanting to, to hold everything close to chest and just give it to you maybe if you're good enough. God is a God. Our Father is a Father who wants to give. He delights in that. He loves you. He loves giving to you. And so when we approach him with our request, this shouldn't be strange. We should see the relationship that there's, the connection that's there, understanding that God wants to give to us. Secondly, and this is the truth that I want to pound home this morning, I'll spend the most of my time here. Our Father should be trusted day to day. Two of the seven words are day and daily. Give us this day our daily bread. So this is a practical prayer for Jesus to tell his audience because the bread in those days didn't have preservatives in it. Bread lasted a day and then it was gone. Nowadays, we have, you know, sliced loaves and preservatives, and we can put it in the, in the pantry at last a week, and we don't necessarily get daily bread because that's not something that, that we need. But this is, this is practical for him, and this is more than, much more than Jesus teaching his disciples, go to God with your prayer list, tell him what your needs are, the end. Jesus is, is teaching his disciples, you should have a prayer of dependence on God for those needs, yes, give them to him, but you should have a prayer of dependence day to day. Now, that's a game changer because there's a vast difference between, Lord, I want you to give me this, give me a promotion, help me with work, heal Aunt Susie of her cancer, and, Lord, I need fill in the blank, and I cannot get through today without it. Lord, I am dependent on you. God, I humbly approach you, and I ask you, give to me. I need this. It's not just something I want. This is something that, that I need. I can't do this without you. Now, 
this is tough for us. It's increasingly tough for us. Why? Because we have Citibank, right? We have IRAs. We have lots of money sitting in the back. That, that nest egg is, is growing. We, we are people that have sliced bread with preservatives. We have fridges and freezers that can keep our wedding cake frozen for 48 years. So on our 50th wedding anniversary, we can take that bad boy out and eat it. And if you're planning on doing that, I would not recommend it. I've never done that, but I just imagine food's not meant to be frozen for 50 years. But we have devices that allow us to do such things. We're able to store up food and, and large sums of money and goods for ourselves. Some in this room, you're, you're self-proclaimed, you know, end survivalist time sort of people. And if you're, you know who you are if you're in the room. You took, you took your storm cellar and you, you transformed it into this bunker that you can hunker down in for 30 years when the end of the world comes and you can just live inside of this cellar for decades if you need to. And you have, you know, you have 3 million gallons of water on this wall and you've got AKs lining the wall over here and boxes of ammo. You've got you know, 37 flashlights and old CB radio because every bunker needs a good CB radio, right? You're going to have to be able to communicate somehow. And you have an ulcer in your stomach because you're worrying so much. That's, you know, but we're good at that. We, we store up. I go to Army Surplus store and buy me a box of rations to last me forever. I can live on that, right? That's, and by the way, the thought of living in a 10 by 10 room for a decade when the end of the world comes should not be appealing to any of us. I say if the zombie apocalypse happens, just shoot me, okay? And we can just, we can be done with it. But, and there's not really a zombie apocalypse. That's not in the Bible, okay? Just so you know. Um, we're people that we, we stock up on stuff. We got attics full of stuff that we need to get rid of. We got garages with a couple cars. We got pantries full of food. We got fridges full of food that will, that will lay there. Why do I need to pray, give me this day my daily bread? Why do I need to be dependent upon God? Why, okay, yeah, I need his help with some big things. You know, I need, this Lord, save my kids. Lord, heal me from, from this disease. I need some help with some big things. But day to day, I got this, right? I'm okay. I can, I can make it through life. I don't need to pray to survive day to day. I can, but that is, that's a wrong attitude when we're approaching God with our needs. The attitude here is an attitude of daily dependence. And can I tell you the truth? The moment that you cease to see yourself as daily dependent upon the Lord, both immaterially and, and materially, Physical and immaterial. The, the moment you cease to see yourself as dependent is a scary moment for you. When you decide that I'm okay and I just need God to do some heavy lifting for me and I can do most of it myself, that's a dangerous place to be. And it's a place where you see people all throughout Scripture. This is warned often. I'm going to share a couple passages with you. You feel free to turn there. We'll put them on the screen for you if you don't want to turn. Leviticus 26. Here the children of Israel are warned of this heart of dependence that they're going to have upon themselves. And here's what God says to them. He says in verse number 18 of Leviticus 26, If ye will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. And here's what he says I'll do. Verse 19, I'll break the pride of your power. And that's the truth. It's the pride of our power. We take, we take pride in what we can do ourselves. And I will make your heaven as iron and your earth as brass. Your strength shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. God continues this rhythm all the way throughout the chapter. He says, you think, you think you can do this on your own? See if I don't shut up heaven. See if I don't make your land produce nothing. 
See if I don't bring armies against you to, to war with you. See if I don't cause diseases and plagues to come to you. You think you're self-sufficient? You think you can do this without me by the strength of my power? See what I'll do to you. Deuteronomy, verse number 8, gives something I think is even more fitting for our culture and, and really resonates with me personally. Verse number 15 of Deuteronomy 8, God says, he asks some rhetorical questions, and he says to the children of Israel, Who led thee through the great and terrible wilderness? wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water. Who brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint? Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, that he might prove thee to do thee good at the latter? And so God says, who, who did this for you? Children of Israel, who brought you to this point? Who's, who's gotten you here on, on the brink of the promised land? Who did that? I did. Then he says, verse number 17. And here's their response. And thou say in thy heart, my power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. God's point of asking these questions is, your heart is saying, I've done this. He says, no, you haven't. I did this. I provided for you. Verse number 18, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. For it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore unto thy fathers as it is this day. He says, look, I did all this for you, and you're responding with, look what I did. I'm self-sufficient. I did this on my own. Are you kidding me? Remember how you got here. Remember that your ability to get wealth is only by my hand. The New Testament echoes this. One of my favorite verses of the New Testament is 1 Corinthians 4, where Paul writes, For who maketh thee to differ one from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? Paul says, look, what makes you different from them? Why do you have more money than them? Why do you have better health than them? Why, why, do, you, why do you like your car and you don't like theirs? Why is it that you have the liberties as an American, but they don't because they live in that country? Why? why? He says, what do you have that you didn't receive? There wasn't a gift from God. And if it's a gift from God, why are you glorying? Why are you prideful? Why are you acting like it's not a gift from God, as if you didn't receive it? Paul says all of your life, the sum total of it, is a product of God being good to you. It's a product of God providing. It's a product of, of God seeing that your needs were met. And he says, understand that all of your life, and we should understand that our life, it's all dependent upon the Lord. We should not be dependent upon that bank account or, or that wealth or those clothes or that relationship or whatever the case may be. We should understand that day to day, I am dependent upon the Lord. So, so why don't we more often? We're great at selfishly giving our needs to the Lord. We're, most of us are great at that. But relying on Him, saying I have daily dependence on you, I can't make it without you. Why, why, why don't we do that? I've given this before, so I'll give it quickly. First is these attitudes we have. I'll do it. And it's all pride. I'll do it. Don't you know? Look, look what I've done. Look at the business I've built. Look at the degree I have. Look at, look at our church. Why, why do we need God? We've, we've grown. We're doing all right. It says, I'll pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm American. I can figure it out. I'm okay. I got this. The attitude of I'll do it, it, it pushes us away from a dependence upon God. There's also the attitude of I'm do it. God owes me. I deserve better than this. He should be giving to me. Now, both of them are pride. Both of them drive us away from a humble dependence upon God and seeing him as, as our caretakers, as our providers, a father that wants to, to give to us. 
all of us in our Christian life have, have probably known a spiritual giant that we looked up to and we just, we thought they hung the moon spiritually and they taught us and they loved on us and we thought the world of them and then some way, somehow, they, they fell. They as a spiritual giant fell. And, and if, if it hasn't hit close to home, you at least know of some stories where, where that has happened. And undoubtedly, if that happened to you, it messed with you. And it messed with your heart. And you, and you thought to yourself, what, what happened? Were, were they always a fraud? You know, probably not. But did everything that they teach me, was it all wrong? You know, probably not. You know what happened? Odds are they got to a point of spiritual success in their life where they stopped depending upon the Lord. Where they thought, I've lived enough life, I've prayed enough prayers, I've been on enough mountaintops, I've seen enough spiritual victory that now I'm okay. Now I can do this. Now I can go through life without a day-to-day dependence upon God, recognizing that I deeply need him and I deeply need his help, both physically and immaterially. I need his help to get me through. And when that happens, that's a dangerous place. It's a dangerous place for us to say, I'm not dependent upon the Lord day to day. And I know that you wouldn't verbally say that, but our hearts say that sometimes. And we, be, we begin to depend on other items. So, so this prayer, this prayer is a prayer of dependence daily on the Lord. It's, it's as you seek the Lord for your health. Lord, I understand that the only reason I have health today, the only reason I have breath today, the only reason I'm living today is because you allowed it. Your grace allowed it. So, Lord, I ask for continued health. Father, I know that my heart is in need of gospel repair today, that I am in need of sanctification today, that I need some help. I need your grace today. Lord, would you give it to me? Because spiritually, I can't make it through the day without you. I need, I need your gracious aid. Lord, I understand that any financial blessing I have, any mental ability I have, anything that I have is only by your hand. So, Lord, I trust on you. I depend on you for that. And I ask you to continue it. That's the prayer. It's a prayer of daily dependence that I recognize I need from God, and God wants to give. God loves to give. He would delight in giving to you, but we must seek him. We must depend upon him. As I studied this week, I came across a story about the Korean War, and after the Korean War, South Korea was left with many orphans, as is typically the case in war. And humanitarian aid began to be applied, and relief efforts began to be offered, and uh, many workers went over to help with the orphanages and with the orphans that were there. And one story came forth about an orphanage where the children would go to bed worried and anxious, and, and they wouldn't sleep well. And as they began to ask the, the orphans, why is it that you have trouble sleeping at night, their answer was a little more simple than they thought it would be. The answer that they found is that the children were scared they would not have food the next day. And that was, this is despite the fact that they had been fed three meals a day. They had food. There was food in the pantries. They'd been fed every day. But they went to bed worried that they were not going to be provided for. So the solution they came up, came up with was to have the nurses take a little piece of bread, not meant to be eaten, but to, meant to be a security blanket, and to place that piece of bread in the children's hands at night before they went to bed to remind them, there's bread here, you can rest easy, you will be provided for. And the, the relief worker said it worked. The, the children were, they were appeased and they, they rested peacefully because they had this little piece of bread in their hand to know that, Everything was taken care of. Can I tell you, in, in our lives, we have a God who has, just, just by the byproduct of us being American, the century that we're living in, 
We have a God who has given to us and given to us and supplied us and supplied us with all of our meals and all of our necessities and beyond that. And he has even at so many different times putting pieces of bread in our hands that's above and beyond our needs. That he doesn't have to do that just to, to help us know that I'm providing, I've given, and that everything's there and everything's taken care of. But that in some weird way has produced inside of us a lack of dependency. We've seen that the pantries are full, that there's going to be a meal the next day, that there's bread in our hands, and that comes from God. And we have turned to ourselves and said, God, I'm not depending on you anymore. I'm depending on myself. So see that your life, I don't care how much money is in the bank. I don't care how much food is in your pantry right now. I don't care what's in your attic right now. I don't care what's in your garage right now. Know that God gave that to you, and it's your job as his child to be dependent upon him because that can be gone in a moment. Your life can be turned upside down in a moment. And don't make him do it. Depend upon him. And tell him, God, I thank you and I praise you for what I have, but I am daily dependent on you in my life. I, I need you. Third truth, your father cares about your needs. It's not just that he gives and that he wants to give. It's that he is deeply concerned and he cares for you individually. Us, corporately, yes, sure he does, but you individually. God, this is a prayer, give us this day our daily bread, where we're asking for bread, our needs to be met. And God wants us to do that. He invites us to do that. He asks us to go to him and ask him for our bread. And bread, certainly God is not saying, Jesus is not teaching, ask for bread, but don't ask for water. Ask for bread, but you can't ask for clothes. You can't ask for physical protection. No, this is, this is meant to be a template to say, hey, our needs we even in our society, we would call uh, the spouse of the home that earns the highest income. We call them what? The, the breadwinner. Even colloquially, we see that term as a, as a term for, for money or for needs or for provision. And God is saying, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, I come to you and I know you care for me. I'm going to cast all my care upon you because I know you care for me. And God invites us to take the list. Now, we must see who he is first, that he's a God who wants to give and that he's loving. We must depend upon him, but we should. We should take our needs. We should have a prayer list that we give to him. We should, we should go to him and say, I, I need this and I need that, but also there are times where, Lord, I, don't, I know I don't need this, but I ask you to give it to me. And I ask for this reward. And, and God, he does not mind that. He is not bothered by that. He wants us to go to him. And, and as any father would a child, any good father, what to a child would give to them if he could when they asked, would provide for the needs. So too is God, a God who cares for us and cares for our needs. Fourthly, prayer is never meant to be self-absorbed. I do agree with Luther in that he emphasized the us and our. This is give us this day our daily bread. Contained in this prayer is that there should be a communal aspect here. It shouldn't be all about you. Should you take your needs and your requests? Yes, certainly. But coupled with that, should be requests for your spouse and your kids and your coworkers and your neighbors and your church family and your extended family. That this should be not just give me, give me, give me, and any assessment of our prayer lives would yield the result, honestly, that we're really good at give me, give me, give me, aren't we? We don't need to be taught that. <laughs> we, we're naturally just good at being selfish and doing that on our own. Jesus is teaching them that, yes, you should go with your needs, but you should also consider the needs of others. 
You should also be praying for other people. You should, so this is not just me, but us and our. This also, I would say, is not just physical needs. It would also be spiritual needs. I encourage you to read through the prayers that are listed, the verbatim prayers that are listed in the New Testament and find how many of them are for physical needs. What you'll find is the overwhelming majority are for spiritual, immaterial needs, and there's, there's a small portion that are actually for physical needs. I'll share one with you in closing. Go to Ephesians 3 if you have a Bible. Ephesians 3, verse 14. Here is Paul's prayer for the Christians that are at Ephesus. And you find that this is, this is for them. It's us and our. And you find that it's so spiritual in nature and it, and it lacks the, what our prayers are filled with. It lacks the <laughs> give them traveling mercies. Keep them safe from the Roman government who may want to stamp them out. Lord, help them not to be martyred. It, and those prayers aren't wrong. I, I'm not against you praying for traveling mercies. But you find that his prayer is so much deeper and so much more meaningful and powerful than that. Ephesians 3, verse number 14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, why are you bowing your knees? your knees. Why are you praying? Of whom? The whole family in heaven and earth is named. So he's about to list it. Here's the reason why I'm praying for you. That you may win the lottery. Nope. That you would get a bonus and a raise at work. That God would give you a great deal on your new car. That you would be healed from infirmities. You don't find that. Here's what you find. Paul prays. Verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all the ages, world without end. Amen. Now that's a prayer. Paul, Paul's prayer is not, God, give them a little goodie and a trinket. His prayer is, Lord, give them spiritual rebar. Lord, put that in their hearts. May their, may their inner man be fortified. Lord, help them to know your love. May they be overwhelmed by how much you love us and the breadth and the height and the depth. May, may that, I mean, that's beyond, that's beyond knowledge. How, Lord, help us to grasp that and make it real to us. That's his prayer. And that's the overwhelming majority of prayers. As you see in the Bible, when people pray for us and our and our needs, generally speaking, those needs are seen as the inner man. Those needs are seen as the spiritual. Now, once again, I'm not against you praying for the physical. Bread was physical. Jesus taught us that. But coupled with that, we should understand that we have deep soul needs. There's only one who can restore our soul. Jesus is the only one that can fix your heart. And as we come and we, we pray, we should have a deep understanding that this is this is to the Father. He loves me. He loves us. He wants to give. And God, I'm dependent upon you. I thank you for what you're given. I know it's all by your hands. And Lord, I trust you and I'm dependent upon you. And Lord, here's, here's what I need. 
Physically, here's what I need. Here's what my family needs. Lord, spiritually, don't, don't forget that. Don't leave that out. Here's, here's what I need. Here's what our heart, here's where our heart's at. Here's the sorrow that we're, that we're wrestling with. Here's the hurt and the pain that we're going through. Here's the struggles. God, I've been struggling with this sin for forever, it seems like. I've given it up a million times. I, I can't do it in my strength. God, change me from the inside out. That should, that, those needs should be real. They should be part of our prayer lives. As we seek the Lord, we should understand what it means to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And I think if, if we really stop in our prayer lives and we dwell on that, we think about God and who he is, how good he's been, how dependent we really are, what our needs are, for honest, what our inner needs are, I firmly believe that that would change how we pray. That would alter our prayer list a little bit. That would, that would modify the amount of time you spend in prayer and how you're praying for your loved ones and your relatives and your church. That this prayer, give us our, this day our daily bread, no doubt will impact us in a great way if we, if we take these principles into our prayer lives.